0: It'll take that long for this thing to boot up. Okay. Okay. All right, Psalm 119, verse 97.
1: Mem, which is water, chaos, mighty, and also blood. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from the very evil path, so that I might obey obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Hmm. Right it Sounds
2: like Jeremiah What's it 15, 16, or sixteen, fifteen? That word profound I didn't eat that Oh that's right That word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart Joy
0: and rejoicing of my heart Heavenly Father we do rejoice in your word We thank you for it We treasure it It is sweeter than honey to our taste And it's a delight to our senses Every time a new uh, little pattern Or a new revelation comes out of it Even thousands of years after it was written It's just wonderful to see And to uh, just know that you are so infinitely wise that you still have things in your word hidden for us to bring out and then we have the revealed truths which have maintained this faith all along for these thousands of years and uh, I would ask that you would help us with a proper doctrine that we would hold fast to what is proper to what is right to cherish your word as it is written and to not go beyond what is written and Lord help us not to sensationalize what is that which is already sensational enough but to just hold fast to what is proper and pure. Lord God, we have people that are uh, in need of prayers today. I think of one in particular, Nancy, up in uh, Chicago, who's going in for an MRI today. And uh, she's had some real struggles and some problems, and we're just praying for good news there. And uh, we also pray for those who are traveling who aren't here today and uh, for those whose hearts are heavy for whatever reason. Lord, you you are aware of all things, and uh, you search us out even when we cannot express our own selves to you, you already are there knowing what needs to be done in our lives. We thank you for your steady hand upon us and your wisdom that knows us better than we know ourselves. Thank you for searching us out and uh, just revealing to yourself our needs so that we, uh, we are taken care of every step of the way. And uh, Lord, we pray for a quick return of jesus for us Uh, the world is just continuously devolving more and more into wickedness and it's hard to watch as things go bad but your word said it would happen and uh, it would be a lot better for us if we were sitting on the heavenly sideline watching it than uh, being a part of it but your will be done and as long as we're here help us to maintain our testimony and to be good and right examples of being faithful christians lord we pray this that you will be glorified we pray it in jesus name Amen. Amen. And we ha- oh, I don't know if the uh, camera where it's at right now, but um, um, it, I, this chair it was having a problem with the sensor, and so um, we've just got the camera set further out. I don't know if the people online can see my shirt or not, but I'm going to show you. It says that uh, I love the party. It says. And by party, I mean read the Bible. So if you uh, want to party, come on over to my house anytime. We can, uh, Or just come to the Superior Word and we can party away as we read the Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Romans today. We're not quite done with the book of Romans yet, so um, uh, we're in Romans chapter 1, verse
1: 19.
0: verse 19. That is correct. So let me turn there and you can go ahead and read Romans 1, 19, and then we'll get started since what may
1: be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them.
0: Okay, so last week we talked about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and uh, un- all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in the in unrighteousness. And, uh, sorry, I'm just, boy, I'm tired. What happened is... Uh, Tom must be ten times more tired than me. You know, we had that storm, and it's been wet. Things have fallen on, on the ground. They need to be cleaned up, and uh, I wasn't able to do my jobs last week because it rained four days in a row. And so I did everything yesterday that I normally do over an entire work week. I just am burned out. i got to tell you, today was just catch-up. And, hello, how are you? I, uh, I, my muscles hurt because I didn't drink enough water, and I'm just... You didn't have any water damage, did you? No, the only water damage we had was it came into the garage, but it didn't damage anything. It just flooded the floor, which is concrete and, you know, the wood on the side, but that's all right. But no, other than that, uh, no water damage in any of the places I take care of except one leak in a roof, and uh, we'll get that fixed eventually. But uh, anyway, um, so 119, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. All right the uh, word because here because what may be made known is speaking of what was said in verse 18 the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against these things because what may be known of god is manifest in them all right paul is speaking about god's general revelation of himself to humanity remember there's two types of revelation that we uh, uh speak of the first is general revelation God showing himself or revealing himself. Hello, how are you?
1: Hello.
0: He's uh, revealing himself to us uh, in nature, such as in the 19th Psalm, where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Let me read that to you really quickly, rather than me blowing it. And it's probably a part of something i yeah, it's, I'll get to it in a second, because it's part of my notes. But general revelation, then you have special revelation. And I think I talked about it in this class recently, but special revelation is how God reveals himself to the world specifically general means that all men have this knowledge of God it's generally known of God uh, to all people or it should be known to all people alright special revelation only comes by God revealing himself in a particular way he can do it through a miracle if he says I'm going to do something miraculous he can suspend nature he can override nature these are miracles when Christ um, uh, took the uh, wine the water and made it into wine, that was the miraculous, okay? Um, uh, It's not something that would normally happen, in other words. So, uh, hello, how are you ladies doing? Um, uh, So that is a type of uh, special revelation. Then you also have uh, special revelation, which would be a prophet of God speaking the word of God, thus says the Lord. That's something that can only be revealed by God through one of his messengers. You uh, have special revelation also in The word of God which is kind of like the prophecy but sometimes prophets write rather than speak the word of God they may be moved by the Holy Spirit and they'll write the word of God so the Bible is God's special revelation and then you have of course what I call uh, special revelation par excellence which is God stepping out of the infinite realm uniting with humanity in the womb of a woman and becoming a man Christ Jesus and so that would be the prime example of special revelation These are things that cannot in any way be discerned apart from God actively doing them for us. Whereas general revelation is something that everybody can just grasp. The sun rises, the sun sets. It happens at a uh, a logical time and in a logical sequence. We know when it's gonna happen. We can project it out for thousands of years. Tomorrow morning, I know exactly when to get up from my computer and to walk out and to take the morning sunrise photo simply because things are balanced things make sense, things are logical. And sometimes when they don't seem logical, we get a little uh, uh, freaked out about it, and we think, oh, well, something is, is wrong, when maybe it's part of what is logical. And I'll give you an example. We've got, um, uh, what is it, Old Faithful out in uh, Yellowstone, and it goes off, this geyser, without fail, very consistently. It goes off, and we, we can stand there, we can say in three, two, one, and there it goes. Well, they have a pattern which uh, they found out, I think it was about 40 years ago. Anyway, I may be wrong on that, but we have a pattern in the atmosphere um, that repeats itself every, I think it's 26 months. And I just saw an article on it yesterday where it's been going on steadily. They know that the wind is gonna go from the east at this time, it's gonna go down to a certain level, and then it's gonna turn around, it's gonna go from the west. And this is something that they noticed in the atmosphere and it's happened without change. All of a sudden, it didn't happen last year as was expected. And so they said, well, this is something that's never happened before. Okay? We can say, oh, well, that means there's global warming. Or we can make up some excuse. Or we can say, well, this is unprecedented and the world is, you know, going into cataclysm. Well, if we only have 40 years of records, we couldn't actually predict that very well anyway. Because it may be that every 55th time that this occurs, it doesn't happen as it's expected until you have a long enough sample in order to make that decision. Now what we can do is we can watch this and if it happens again in whatever number of years, then we'll know that we've got a pattern which repeats, we'll say, every 60th year. And then we can follow that. So then every 60th year, forever, we'll be able to know that the winds are gonna stop and then they're gonna continue on in the direction they're going. So don't be freaked out when you read those type of articles because it did make the news, and I'm sure the you know the prophecy people are all over this, saying that the world's going to end on this day because this wind cycle didn't change. It's not a very good way of looking at the world. God is very consistent. If he is going to do something out of the consistency, it will be because he has determined it to be that way. And normally he'll tell you in advance about that. He will give you an advanced warning. Doesn't mean you're going to know when it's going to happen in advance, but when it happens, you can say... Now I understand what he was doing, if you see what I'm saying. Prophecy, in other words, tells us that something is coming. It doesn't tell us when, specifically, until after it happens. And then we say, oh, this is the fulfillment of that. So that's why it's not wise to make predictions about prophecy. The rapture is going to be on this day, or, you know, this is going to happen on this day. It's because we don't normally know the starting date for what God is doing until it occurs And then we can go back and we can say, now this logically makes sense. He knew all along it was going to happen on that day, and he told us it was going to happen. We just didn't know when. So we've got to be careful with those type of things. And that's why I said in the prayer today, is we need to not sensationalize what God is doing. What God has done and what he is doing in the pages of the Bible is sensational enough. Yes,
1: he'll take care of the sensational. He
0: will take care of the sensational. That's right. And that's why, you know, I really am not a fan of these continuous dream of prophecy videos that come out that people they make predictions they say this and this and it just goes on it's an endless stream of them and invariably it doesn't happen it does not happen and the same people five days later will have you know <coughs> 55 people watching him when he's making a new prediction and they say well it'll happen next time it's like Jonathan Kahn. he made all these predictions none of them has come about and what happens I, and I, somebody emailed me about this today, and I said, you know, I think what it is is people put their investment into a person, and they say eventually he's got to be right, and I'll get my return on my investment, right? And so it's the perverse nature of us, you know. It's like you have a dog, and the dog, you, you take it in for a surgery that you can't afford. Okay, it costs you five hundred dollars, and you say, I can't afford this, but I'm going to do it because I love my dog. And then the dog gets sick again, and you think, I spent $500 on it. I don't want to lose that $500, so I'm going to spend another $72. And there's a point where you just say, I hope I get my return on my investment. That's what I think a lot of prophecy is for people. It's just waiting for a return on an investment, which is unnecessary, because God will do things in his own time, and we don't need to be speculating about it. That's why when people send me these videos, I really don't watch them normally. I might go through them real quickly and just get the highlights and say you know what I'm not even going to comment on I'll go back and I'll tell them because there's no point in it. Anyway general revelation special revelation. Okay Um, Paul is speaking about God's general revelation of himself to humanity. The creation displays the creator if even in only a general sense and this display comes from his glory his wisdom And his divine attributes, as will be noted in verse 20. One more verse and we'll be there. What we see about God is completely evident and absolutely unmistakable. When we see something, uh, uh, you know, the, the shape of a nautilus shell matches the shape of our ear, matches the shape of the galaxy, matches the shape of, it's called the Fibonacci series, I believe. I think it's the Fibonacci. Anyway. There, there are repeating patterns all the way. No, Fibonacci, I'm sorry, I think that's a different one. That's the length of this to this equals half of this. which come, And so everything is proportioned in your body according to a... Vi- in other words, we know how long this part of your body is going to be because we know how long this part of your body is. When you have a cubit, right, a cubit is from here to here. That's the mother measurement in the Hebrew, right? Well, if you have half a cubit, you just go from here to here, and you, right here, and you double it, and it comes out exactly a cubit because everything is standard in our body. Everything God has developed in a certain way. Like I said, you have the, uh, the structure of the novelist, the structure of the, uh, the, uh, constellations. They all make sense because God has put this into creation. And so when we see this, we say, you know, unless you're an evolutionist, you say, my gosh, look at that wonderful wisdom. This is obviously planned. Unless you, like I say, are an evolutionist and you want to exclude God from the picture, and then what are you going to do? You're going to say that this is great random chance. Oh, I'll tell you a perfect example. This goes back to a sermon I did a long time ago. And um, uh, let me think about it. I want to get the name of it real quickly here for you. Um, It was a long time ago I did this, and so it's going to take a minute for me to decide what the name of it is. Okay, I can't think of the name of the pattern, but they uh, uh, have a... Uh, fractal fractal geometry okay fractals everything everything is based on fractals when you look at the shape of a cloud you can know the weight of the cloud the size of the cloud based on fractals when you look at a bolt of lightning when it comes down it looks like this and that comes out like this and goes like this and you know and like this that's all fractal okay so when you look at it here from the side of a mountain and a river going down what do you see you see the exact same thing everything is based on fractals. As a matter of fact, there was a Japanese guy, the very famous painting of the the wave that's breaking, and everybody knows it if you ever see it. The guy may not have known what a fractal was, but when he painted it hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he used fractals in his painting because he understood, looking at that, that there is a pattern in here. So this ancient Japanese painting reflects fractals. Okay, well, fractal geometry affects everything. If you want to measure the border of England okay you can go to a map and you can say well this is a mile this is a mile this is a mile this is a mile and then you can measure it and you can say what's well, that long but guess what if you zoom in to this area here I'm saying this area right here it's not the same like that because now you see little jetties that go out and you might see a, a sandbar that actually a beach that goes out so Do you measure that, or do you skip over it and just use the big thing? Eventually, everything comes down to a repetitive pattern known as a fractal. So, this is what I wanted to tell you about this. When you, and it all bears on what Paul's saying, I'm not getting off on a, a tangent here. When you measure a tree, you can tell what a forest will be like. And here's what I'm talking about. There are forests that have never been timbered ever in human history. And in order to test a theory, these people went down to a jungle. I think it was Peru, one of these places where it's never been timbered. They know this. They went down there, and they took a random tree right out of the middle of the forest. So the tree is shaped like this, and then it's got branches that go like this, and go like this, and go like this, all the way up, right? Okay? You got all these little extra things on every branch. And they measured the tree here, they measured the branch here, they measured the branch here, they measured the branch here, they measured the little twig here. And they said, if fractal geometry is correct, let me get my eraser. If fractal geometry is correct, now get this, this is what's amazing. If fractal geometry is correct, by measuring the base of this tree, by measuring the branch here and the next branch up and the width of all of these twigs and everything, they surmised. That around this tree, and this is now looking down on that tree, here's that tree, that every single tree around that tree in the entire forest would fit the pattern of this tree. In other words, the tree near it would be this big, the tree near to that would be a little smaller, it would match this, the tree near that would be smaller, it would match this, and then you come back to a big tree again. And all these different, and they said, this will match the the forest 100% if this theory of fractal geometry is true. So what did they do? They measured the tree and then they walked around that tree and they measured all of the base of the trees around it and it was perfectly aligned with the tree in the middle. Okay? So, what did they say? What do you think that they attributed that to? Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Random chaos was able to develop something that was, would come out in a predictable manner in advance of measuring that. They would know all of this based on that. And they attributed it to random chance, mother nature type of stuff. Now that shows you what we're going to talk about in Romans chapter one: the golden depravity ratio. of man. What's that?
1: Golden ratio.
0: The golden ratio. Thank you. The golden ratio is the, the Nautilus. this Nautilus, the uh, mm-hmm. the constellations and the ear and all of those things. That's the golden ratio. If you look it up on the internet, type in the golden ratio. You can watch videos on YouTube, which are astonishing. The type in golden ratio and um, patterns in the Golden Ratio, and you'll see beautiful things. People have taken them and put them on, you know, little five-minute videos with music and the astonishing beauty of it. Also type in Fibonacci series patterns in nature, and you'll see the same thing. Beautiful little videos that people have done that are astonishing. And we know these things because God is a God of order. People say, well, of course we evolved because monkey has 98.327% DNA of man and dog has 52.327% of DNA of man. It's all DNA, though. And they say, obviously, everything evolved because everything is based on DNA, and you can see the development of the species based on DNA, right? Well, logically, why would you think that? If God wanted to have a dog that represented some of the characteristics of man so he could enjoy that dog, you think he would use the same pattern from man? Instead of making up something entirely foreign, which has no resemblance to anything that we could fellowship with, he takes the same pattern. So if you look at it from a God-centered uh, creation, then everything would have the same pattern. That monkey would have a closer one because we, we want to study the monkey. We want to learn things about the monkey. That's why we can take a monkey and we can put it in a test uh, lab and we can determine diseases that we can't do with the dog. And we can do the same thing with a pig that we can't do with a rat. All of these different things have different characteristics. They're not man, but this one has a little characteristic of man. This one does because God has given us all of these things in order to see little reflections of ourselves, which ultimately are reflections of his wisdom. Nothing can exist apart from what God has designed and not be a part or a reflection of God, if you see what I'm saying. He can't create something that doesn't resemble himself in some way. Okay, when we see a spider... With its magnificent web and all of the intricate designs in there, it shows us that there was a wise creator that did these things. All of that bears on what Paul is writing about right now, about suppressing the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. Okay? We could go on with that type of thinking all day. The beautiful things that. But it, it seems
1: that um, that what he's saying here is special revelation versus general. And the reason well, why that's I say right. That is that it's like, okay, to all the godless and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since they may know about God.
0: But that's general revelation. That's not so special revelation. He's not, not talking about special revelation. So he's, he's talking, about talking God? Not yet.
1: Okay.
0: No, he's not talking about that yet. He's talking about how God has general, re, generally revealed himself to the people of the world. He's talking about the masses of people in the world and what happens when they turn away from that simple knowledge of God, which is uh, Romans 1, 18, 19, and we're going to continue down that path here. All right? So, that's the revelation he's talking about right now is general revelation. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. He's not talking about anything that God has revealed of himself specifically. He's talking about what he has revealed of himself generally. What has, uh, may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. I'm not sure if I mentioned what uh, the, the thinking of you started with Plato and Socrates and then Aristotle. And these guys were brain people. You know, you have the, the Greek culture and they were brain people. They, they believed that you should use your mind, you should uh, contemplate things, and they had ideas about the nature of man. They had ideas about the nature of uh, whatever is out there. And each one of them developed a little more. But Aristotle, if you read his writings, literally came about this close to understanding the nature of God without ever being in the covenant community of Israel. And he not only was he not in the covenant people of Israel, he was outside of them, he had no knowledge of them, and it was like 200 years before the coming of Christ. And yet thinking things through, which is what he's talking about here, he was able to make logical deductions that to this day people study understanding the nature of God. If you read the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, okay, and a lot of people don't want to because he was a Catholic, oh, just because somebody is a Catholic does not mean that he does not have knowledge. Okay, Thomas Aquinas was a giant mind. He established an understanding of the nature of God, the nature of angels, the nature of demons, of things that is incomparable. If you study what he says, it is incomparable in how he logically deduces things. Okay, He calls Aristotle the Philosopher, capital P, when he talks about him, because this guy was so intelligent. And when he disagrees with Aristotle he would do it in a way as to not diminish Aristotle. It would be like me and R.C. Sproul. I love R.C. Sproul and so I try not to say the guy is you know, blah 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 I, I will say that R.C. Sproul is somebody that is wrong on this particular precept and so because I love the guy and I don't want to you know, argue with him about that. Anyway um, uh, so uh, this is what he's talking about. The knowledge of God which is revealed by God in nature in a general way, okay? Um, uh, where was I? Um, many passages in the Bible confirm what Paul is saying here. David understood God's manifestation through the created order when he penned the 19th Psalm. So I'm going to read you what I was going to just quote to you earlier, and uh, you'll understand. This is David talking about the nature of God and how we can know things about God simply from uh, uh, observing nature. He says, To the chief musician a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the world and the words to the end of the world he's saying that nature itself speaks of the glory of God nature itself speaks of what God has done and this is what Paul is using as a baseline: is the knowledge of God from general revelation. If David, sitting out there in the sheepfolds, you know, in the middle of the night, looks up and he says, "Look at the heavens! Declare the glory of God!" And he's long before the coming of Christ. He understood that there is a Creator out there that has developed something absolutely marvelous, something absolutely wonderful, and that you can tell this simply by looking up and thinking about it. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Um, Let's see here. Um, If a man, David, born 2,700 years ago as a shepherd here, I'm almost re-quoting myself, and who became a military leader can figure this out, then anyone else can too. David had no training in philosophy or theology, and yet he opened his eyes and looked up and saw the wisdom and glory of God and what he has created. This is what David could do. If he could do that, then every other person on this planet can do it as well. With only God's general revelation of himself, man has declared that there must have been a beginning to the creation, and thus there must have been a beginner. Now, when I say that, is because with general revelation, just with general revelation, Aristotle could tell that there was a time when there was nothing. And there is, therefore, something that brought everything into existence. Whether he called him God or not, I have no idea what his uh, uh, speaking about God was. I haven't read all of Aristotle, but he knew what the nature of this creator must be like. And he used terms like pure actuality. And what that means is, that, once again, if I've repeated this in other Bible studies, I'm sorry, because I don't want to repeat myself too often, but just so you can understand, things that we can deduce, I am a being which has potential. I have potential to grow hair. My hair has potential to get longer. It has potential to get shorter if I cut it. I have potential for my hair to get gray. Okay, If I use, um, uh, what do you call it, A hair coloring, my potential can go back to being, yeah, Grecian formula or something, it can go to another color. Right? Potential means that something has the ability to become. Okay, Man is what we would call progressively actuating potential. Everything about us is progressive. We're going from one state to another, and as we have potential, it actuates, okay? My beard has the potential to turn gray, eventually turns gray. That means the potential is actuated, but there's still potential, po- potential in my beard. Like I said, my beard can grow longer. It can, be, um, it can melt if I put some chemical on it. All of these things, everything that is substance has the ability to become and continue to become. It is progressively actuating potential okay in god there's no potential none and we can deduce that apart from the bible this is why it's so important to understand what paul is saying is that if there is a god and he created this here then that means he is before this here if he is before this here then everything about him is there's no change in him he doesn't go from one point to another and that's why when I say that God doesn't love me any more or any less than Adolf Hitler, it's because God is love. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says God is love. He doesn't, his love doesn't change. I change in relation to him. God is righteous. God is just. God is holy. There is no change. When people say, oh, um, we talk about uh, the emotions of God. God is, and people don't want to hear this, but God is impassionate. He does not have emotions where he says, oh, poor Charlie Garrett got run over by a car today. He is impassionate. There's no change in his emotions. That comes when God revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And that's why I am very specific about saying that Jesus is Jehovah of the Old Testament, because Jehovah of the Old Testament has feelings. He says, I, you know, I'm, I, I have this emotion. I'm getting angry at this. I'm getting loving at that. That is Christ expressing the God that does not change. Okay, and in his being, he does not change. In his
1: having potential, is is pretty much triggered by the fact that there's time.
0: Yes, you can't have matter without having time. You've got those three things that exist. You've got time, space, and matter, and you can't have any one of the three without having all three simultaneously. Okay, if you have this is matter, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, what is it doing? Nothing at
1: this
0: moment. Well, it's doing something. It's getting older. It's getting older, okay? You can't have matter unless you have time, because if you have any matter, then that matter is getting older. You can't have space without having time, okay? If you have space, then there's time within the space. You can't have matter without space. You can't have matter without time. You can't have time without space. You can't have time without matter. All of these are interdependent on each other, and guess what? This is the kind of thing that Aristotle would write about. This is the kind of thing that St. Thomas Aquinas Developed in which he thought through very meticulously, and it's the kind of thing that theologians, and I'm talking about the liberals and the people that wanted to deny the existence of God, completely dismissed. Oh, that you know, that's just speculation. Until guess what happened in the 1920s? Einstein. Einstein. General relativity came along, and he proved in indisputable proof from the theory of general relativity that time, space, and matter all occurred at exactly the same time. So, now we can we can deduce these things apart from the Bible if we are willing to sit down and think through the nature of God. But we're distracted with all of our lives and we get put off on every possible tangent that we can be put off on. We have to work. We have to do this. There's a pretty girl. All of these things are coming at us all the time. And so our understanding of God is always faulted because we're not geared towards going towards God. It's just not in our nature. We can look up and we can say, oh, there's a God, but there's always something pulling us away from that God. David, understanding that the heavens declare the glory of God and writing this magnificent psalm that we're reading all these thousands of years later, David was pulled away. Remember when he went up onto his roof that one night and he looked out and he saw a woman, right? This is what happens in us. If David wasn't a part of the covenant community, he would have been a condemned man but God redeemed them for himself in order to bring in the Messiah of the world, okay? So even David, this great person that had this partial understanding of God was not without fault, okay? This is what the Bible is leading us into, is an understanding that man is inherently separated from God. Even if we spend all of our time like Aristotle trying to think of wonderful things, he was still fallible. Somebody, and I I may get this wrong, but he wrote sometime that a uh, woman has less teeth than a man. Yeah, well, he was wrong. But guess what? He was smart enough to, to say, I can deduce something about the nature of the, the being that is pure actuality, but he wasn't smart enough to go to his wife and say, open your mouth and let me count them. In other words, he was distracted. Okay, Even the greatest thinkers are distracted in areas that they're not specialists in. We have doctors and we've got carpenters. So, Paul is trying to show us that there is an inherent disconnect in all people because we are not geared towards the things of God. Okay? So, as I said, with only God's general revelation of himself, now think of Aristotle, think of of, uh, Einstein, who was not a great theologian. He was a scientist. With only God's general revelation of himself, man has deduced that there must have been a beginning Time, space, and matter, general relativity. Like I said, he didn't read the Bible, and if he did, he didn't read it with the presupposition that it was true. He probably read it like most people do. Oh, what a great story, and he went on to the next one without thinking through the nature of God. Okay? He's somewhere Where he tried to
1: debunk... Oh, I'll I'll talk
0: about that in just a second. Deduced that there must have been a beginning to the creation, and thus there must have been a beginner. This is what he's thought. He's thought, time, space, and matter all occurred at the very beginning, Okay? That means there was a beginning, right. and if there was a beginning, then there must have been a beginning. beginner. That's exactly right. If you have a creation, you have to have a creator. Okay, that is—it's it, logical, and Einstein proved it. Guess what? All of these people that had poo-pooed the theologians who had been right for the past thirty-five hundred years, since Moses said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, suddenly had to find another reason. For this. Okay? Einstein was so scared about it because he was what we would call a Benedict Sp- Spinoza pantheist. He believed that God was everything. God was in everything. Pantheism. Actually, panentheism is God is in everything. Pantheism means that God is everything. Everything is a part of God. Okay? And he suddenly realized that if this is true, then what he had followed with Benedict Spinoza couldn't be true. And he spent the rest of his life trying to write out the theory of everything. In other words, God is everything, and how do I get around this? And he failed. He was on his deathbed trying to figure out the theory of everything because it scared him enough to know that there was a beginning, there must be a beginner, that doesn't fit with my theology, it doesn't fit with what I want to believe, and so I'm going to dismiss that. And that's a scary place to be, when you know the truth and you suppress the truth. This is exactly what we're talking we about, with about, what Paul is saying. That, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's a very scary place to be, and people don't want to admit that Moses was right, and that we are living in this thing that God has done. And because we're living in this, then all of these other things about God must be true. And so what did, Einstein couldn't figure it out, but what did the scientific world do? Big bang. All of a sudden, the universe created itself. Mm -hmm. it just banged itself into existence and now they're talking about quarks that pop in and out of existence proving that there was a big bang which doesn't prove anything because they're a part of creation it doesn't matter if they pop in here and then pop in the, the other side of the solar system they still are a part of creation they did not create themselves they just came into our source of or our presence all by themselves okay it doesn't mean that they created themselves if something created itself, then what does that logically mean They're
1: pre-existing.
0: that's right it existed before it existed It's a logical contradiction. God had to have created, and so then you have the question who,
2: who created
0: God? who created God that's a category mistake. God is a necessary being. he had to exist. if we exist, then God must exist he cannot. Not exist, and therefore God is. I am that I am. Genesis or Exodus three fourteen. Yes. You
1: know, I've thought sometimes, what if this God that we worship was a lesser God? Okay. Okay, but it does say in theology or in doctrine that He is all powerful.
0: That's it's right. He supreme. Being. He is, it's and
1: like it's like to an ant. I if I squash them out in a pile of ants, they all die at my foot.
0: But right. What if something is greater than me. That's the right. The
1: Bible says in doctrine and theology. He's all
0: powerful. He's all powerful. All.
2: So there's no one else like that's him. That's
0: right. And it, logically, without the Bible, we can deduce that. Okay? That's where the 12 first principles, which I talked about before, and we'll go through them again, that's where they come in. The 12 first principles, you can logically show very easily that that is impossible. That a created being cannot create anything else. It's impossible. And that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses fall is because they say that God created Jesus and then Jesus created all other things. They insert the word other into Colossians 1. It's impossible. A created being, w- which we would call a contingent being, that being is contingent on its creator. Okay, It cannot create anything else. And contingency goes both, it goes two directions. You've got contingency going this way and you've got contingency going this way. The contingency going this way Is what we would call sustaining God the sustainer this is God sustaining all things right now if he decided I am NOT going to sustain the universe anymore what would happen to the universe it would it would completely cease to exist he is and what does it say about Jesus in Colossians 1 by him all things exist and by all things By him all things hold together. And that's in Hebrews 1 as well. It's repeated in Hebrews chapter 1. He's not only God the creator, the one that is sustaining things this way, he's God the creator sustaining things this way as well. If he decides that he doesn't want to do this anymore, we would cease to exist. And that comes from the doctrine of what we would call creation from nothing. You've heard the Latin term ex nihilo nihil fit. Out of nothing, nothing. If you got nothing, you got nothing forever, forever and ever, but God is, and that's why Genesis 3.14, it took us a whole sermon just to get through that one verse, I think, is because it's so important. I am that I am. I exist. Yes, thank you, Exodus. I keep saying Genesis. Exodus 3.14. I am that I am. I'm the pre-existing God before creation. I exist now, and I will always exist. No matter what happens, there's no change in me. I am that I am, okay? That's important to understand, and it's also important to understand Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, that he's not only existent and before his creation, but he's existent above his creation. All-powerful, as you said. Everything is within the providence of God. And what did Jesus say right before uh, uh, his last words of Genesis? um, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew uh, 28, verse 18? All power has been given to me. Therefore, he is the all-powerful God. Once again, you come back to the contingent being thing. A contingent being cannot create anything. There's, it, it can't create anything, and therefore Jesus is God. Okay, anyway, all of this can be deduced, and not, not to get into a long philosophical talk, but it, the important part of this is to understand that people thought these things through. If anybody can think these things through, then it is evident to anybody else if they just simply take the time to think. But they don't. And Paul is going to explain the natural progression of what happens to a man when he doesn't consider these things. Okay? Um, Where are we? Um, If there's a beginning, a creation, there must have been a beginner. If nothing else condemns us, this thought alone would be sufficient. So I'm going to read it again. With only God's general revelation of himself, if that's all we had, no special revelation at all, no Jesus ever showing up, no prophet saying, thus says the Lord, if we only had looking out and saying all of this, and we can deduce that, okay, that there must have been a beginning to the creation, and thus there must have been a beginner, we would call him God. In whatever language you call him, he is God. He is the God. I'm going to stop right now and then tell you something so the people on YouTube know this as well, because I had somebody email me a really important question today. And I don't want anybody to freak out when I start talking about this until you listen to the whole thing she emailed me and she said that some person was emailing and saying that Allah is the same God as the Bible. <laughs> and that, well, hold on. Okay. Okay? And so I, I agree, haha, but I, I want you to understand that you have to be very careful when you use the term speaking of Allah. And the reason why is because when an Arab speaks of God in the general sense, what term do they use? Allah. Okay? Well, guess what? If you go down to Indonesia, Where the Arabs, you know, they they went down there hundreds and hundreds of years ago and they evangelized the people. And those that are Muslims will worship Allah. But guess what? All of the other people in Indonesia, all of them, whether they're Muslim or not, call God Allah. Okay? Christians in their Christian Bible call God Allah. Okay? Because that's the word for God. So you need to understand, just because the word God is what we think of as God, It may have come from a pagan source. You go to another place where the word God comes from, and it may have been a pagan term. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong to use the term God, because people use that, and that's fallacious thinking as well. They say, well, you shouldn't use the term God. You should use Elohim, because that's what the Bible says. Well, you have to know what Elohim means, because Elohim doesn't always mean the God. It can mean a person. It can mean... So even that's a fallacy. You need to be precise when you talk about God. Whether you call him Allah or whether you call him whatever... When a Bible translator goes into a nation, he will use a term that the people can understand. And so when those Christians over there, and they are some of the most faithful Christians I've ever seen, is in Indonesia, those people, when they worship God, they worship with the name of Allah. But it is not the same God, and that's what I wanted to make, I wanted to get that out of the way first, is that Allah of Islam is not the same as Allah of Christianity. The God of Islam is not the same as the God of Christianity. I'm using one term God, they're using another term God. Okay, Allah does not mean a proper name always. It means a general name, just like God isn't a proper name. We would call a proper name would be Jehovah, right? But the term God is a general title. It doesn't mean a proper name. So when you talk about God in Indonesia, you may have a proper name Allah, Muslim, or you may have a general name Allah, meaning God so be careful when you you know talk to people and make sure that you very carefully explain that because if you don't then they will go away either feeling satisfied and smug over you or you may offend somebody that actually worships the true God who they happen to use the term Allah in their Bible because a translator many many years ago went over and he translated what they conceive of as God okay so be careful You know don't be diminishing people and don't say stupid things like you shouldn't use the term God because it comes from a pagan source because when they say well you should call him Elohim then Elohim can mean 14 different things depending on what you're talking about and then all of a sudden you've got the same problem in Hebrew as you've got in English or any other language so use common sense be wise when you speak but be clear when you speak of things so that people understand that there is one God that it is This God revealed in this book, regardless of what a translator called him. If you go up to uh, Alaska, they're probably going to use a term like, we'll just make up a a term right now, mukluk, okay? It, It just, it's an Alaskan term. And maybe they use the word mukluk for God, but it also means, guess what? Something else in Alaskan. Oh, you shouldn't use that term. No, that's what they have always thought of as God. And so that's why that translator uses that word. Whatever mukluk means. What is mukluk? I know it's a word. Oh, a boot. Okay, well, God isn't a boot. Okay, I I knew that word came from Alaska, but I didn't know it meant boot. Anyway, you see what I'm saying. Be careful when you diminish people just because you think you understand and you may not, all right? Um, uh, Having said, I just wanted to get that out because this lady asked it today and it's a relevant question and people need to be able to defend why they believe what they believe. That The God of the Bible, however you term him, is one God. What's that?
2: Until you presented it like
1: that, The Wycliffe translators have gotten to They have gotten
0: so much flack. I'm telling you what, Wycliffe Bible translators are getting out there and they are translating the Word of God for people that have never had it anywhere. I almost became a Wycliffe Bible translator until my wife said two days before I was scheduled to to sign the papers and go off, she said, I don't want to do this. And I said, well, Lord, you gave her to me a long time before you gave me the desire to be a Wycliffe translator. I'm not going to do it because this is my wife and she, you know... Anyway, she was. She just wanted to stay in Florida. Okay, so here we are. And, and now I'm preaching instead. But you're right. Wycliffe has gotten a ton of well, flack from unknowing Christians. Until you presented it like that, I thought, well, man, they've gone off the deep they, end. They haven't gone off the deep end. What they are but using is now. a... Now, what they have done, Wycliffe has, at times, in the Bible, in some of their translations in the Middle East, has... They haven't denied the deity of the sun, but what they have done is they have taken the term sun out in order to make it understandable for Muslims. And that may not be the best thing because you have to describe the sun as the sun. Okay, I'm not a specialist on that. If they did that, then they need to justify why they did that. But using a term about God, especially when it's Allah, when that's the only word that they know that describes the supreme being, you have to let that go. Okay, you have to be careful when you do, get. But the other thing about the son, I haven't studied it enough to know if they there was really a, an intent or if they had a reason for doing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they used a different word, you know, child, because we can have word child, we can have word son, and you know, Wycliffe is very very careful about what they do. If you've ever sat in their meetings, and I've sat in many of them, I can tell you that they are very precise in what they do, and they have a reason for it. Okay. One, I'll give you an example. I hate to get too far away because, you know, we're in Romans, but as an example, they went to a society, and I think it was in Indonesia, and they tried to explain the message of, I, I think it was the book of Mark. They usually start with Mark because it's the shortest of the Gospels, and when they got to the part about Judas, the people were very elated, and they thought, what a great guy, and they thought, what's going on here? They, you know, they couldn't understand. And then after getting into the culture longer and understanding that the the deceit of Judas and the thing he did is actually considered a noble trait. And so they had to work around that idea, which is instilled in them from their culture, that that was the wrong thing. And they had to explain it in the way that the people were not going to reject the Bible because of it. So they're very careful about how they do things and how they present things. You know, uh, uh, Some people have no idea what a chariot is, right? No idea what a chariot is. So what do they do? They say the ox cart. Everybody knows what an ox cart is on that little island, and so they use an ox cart, and the people can grasp it. Later, as their theology develops, and as they, you know, get to knowing more things, maybe they get the Old Testament, they can now describe what a chariot is. But if you just say a chariot when you're translating the Bible, it has no meaning to these people at all. So they're very careful about how they present things without diminishing the Word of God. So, you know, I understand that everybody has got to beef against somebody for some small reason, but it's usually because they are uninformed, not because the people that have been trained in this for years and years have been out there in the field doing this work, and they know the pitfalls of doing these things. So be careful with that. But yes, just wanted to get that out of the way so that everybody understands that if god has used a term that other people don't use it doesn't mean that it's wrong in itself if somebody says yes this god is the same as your god there's a real problem there you need to be able to defend against that and that's why i went into that little diversion there is because we have to be able to defend against that type of thinking but not against single words that have a completely different meaning than we're unaware of um okay and if anybody gets upset about that, I'm sorry. It's just the way of the world. And people that are a lot smarter than me go out and do these translations because they have a heart for God and a love for Jesus Christ, okay? And they go out there and they do this job and they get that Bible into those people's hands and lives are changed and people come to Christ through it. If they make a mistake, we all do, okay? And they will get it corrected in the next edition. They will they will make sure of that. But yeah, okay. Um, uh, let's see here... Um, It's that thought. The beginning, therefore there is a beginner. It's that which would uh, be alone sufficient to condemn all people. As I said a week ago, general revelation is sufficient for condemnation. Special revelation is sufficient for salvation. And you have to get that right. Without special revelation, a person cannot be saved. They must have God's special revelation in order to come to salvation. When he said to um, Adam... In Genesis 3.15, that he would send one that would crush the serpent's head, that was special revelation being given to Adam. Adam could not have deduced that any other way. And from Adam, he told this son and this son, and it went down. There's a select line of people, the sons of God, who kept this memory of it. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he was given God's special revelation once again because he had devolved into pagan worship. And guess Abraham did devolve into pagan worship because it says it in the book of Joshua. When our fathers were on the other side of the river, they worshiped, you know, these gods. Anyway, but Abraham was called out of that. He was given a special promise. He was given God special revelation, and the line continued, okay? So you have this, what God is doing. He's specially and progressively revealing himself to the people of the world in order to bring in the Messiah, who then can give special revelation to everybody if we're willing to fund it. So, um, and when I say that, I, I, I... You know me. I have a heart for all of the missionaries that we have for this church. And we have half as many missionaries as we do people in the church, right? I mean, there's people out there that need to hear about Jesus. And if they are doing a good job, we got that one girl in China here. I think her picture's here. She's over in China, and she sends me a report. And i got to tell you what. She's so excited when she says this girl that she's been talking to about Jesus for two years finally received Jesus Christ. And I just, in my heart, I'm so thankful for that. I wonder what that is. That was something in the, uh, the air conditioner. Sorry about that, folks. I, I think I know what it is, but um, uh, it's the thing that drains the water out because we don't have a drip drain out of here. There must be something wrong with it. Anyway, uh, that girl, once in a while, it's not very often, but she's over there doing her job. Now, there are missionaries that for 25 years will send you a report and they'll tell you about their kids graduating from school and they'll tell you about... They never talk about the, the field that they're in. It's time to stop funding them. If they're not bringing people to Jesus, then they're not doing the job that they're being sent for. But somebody like her, you know, you can see the excitement in her when she says, I talked to this person for two years or we got a group together and three people met the Lord. And I think how wonderful that is. Just wonderful. So if you can take care of these people. If you are in a church, and I'm talking to the people on YouTube, and they fund missionaries, make sure the missionaries are doing their job, and if they're doing their job, make sure that they get funded. Okay? That's an important thing. They live solely, because when you're in a foreign country, you usually can't work in that country and make money. They live solely off the goodness of the people that are supporting them from back here. So, um, let's see here. um, uh, If there was nothing, and then there was something, then everything that came That is, came from the intelligence of God. Everything. Every single thing. You know, you you look at the world and you say, well, there's gold here and there's gold there and there's not a lot of it, right? But it's in little pockets of places and you think, wasn't that wise? Because if there was gold everywhere, it wouldn't be of any value, right? We have to have, if everything was in equal amounts everywhere, there wouldn't be any real commerce, because people would be like, I'm going to dig down the ground, so I don't need it. But he put little pockets of gold in the world so that the nations are developed according to his wisdom. He's got oil in places so that geopolitics come into play and people have a war over it, and it all leads to something. Everything that is in the world has a purpose. Everything, every single thing, and it all came from his mind. If you think about it from that perspective, why are there so many trees and wood is so abundant, and yet you can do so many things with it? It's because God knew that we would need trees to do all these different things. We can make paper, we can build houses, you know, we can build boats and all of these things. You know, trees are one commodity and then we've got all the different kinds of trees. And we have just enough of cedar trees and we have just enough cypress trees and we've got them in the right locations. Wisdom, absolute wisdom coming from the mind of God and on display. And not only wisdom of, oh, I'm going to do things so that they can do things but wisdom in the sense that I'm going to do things so that they can enjoy things. When you go out and look at a, de- uh, uh, a uh, uh, landscape of a mountainside, you don't just see one color of tree everywhere. You might see a whole bunch of trees there, and right in the middle of it in are the aspens. And at the right time of the year, it's just flaming yellow. And it's beautiful, and you say, isn't that marvelous? You know, my hair's standing up right now. Remember the aspens when we were... Uh, going around the states at the the Grand Canyon, the yellow trees, right in the middle of all those green. And you think, he didn't have to do that, but he did it. And all of that beauty is right there. Everything that he does is not only just for our use, but it's also for our enjoyment. And you get the sweetest tasting things that pop up here, and they pop up there, and you walk out in the middle of the night, and there's the night-blooming jasmine, Mm -hmm. and you take a breath, and it overwhelms you because it's so pungent. And you think what a great god and if you don't i don't understand how somebody can go outside and say i really enjoyed that plant and i'm glad that it evolved itself into being right here i i just can't understand that it shows that there is care for us
1: i love random chaos
0: random chaos oh boy that random chaos smells so good okay um let's see here um uh and not only that it must continue to be sustained by him let me go back if nothing else condemns us if there was nothing, then there was something, then everything that is came from the intelligence of God. And not only that, right here, it must continue to be sustained by him from moment to moment. That is, Let me take you to that. Um, take you first to Hebrews chapter 1. Give me one second here. And let me see if I can find this really quickly. Hebrews is after James. Sorry about that. That would be the 60th book of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1. And here we go. He says... Um, <coughs> Uh, God who at various times and in various ways spoken um, uh, time passed to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has made the worlds, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, of God's glory, Jesus Christ who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, here it is, and upholding all things, upholding right now, upholding all things by the power by the word of his power all things right now are being held together by Christ if there was no Christ there would be no thing because it would simply cease to exist but he is God he is the fullness of God in bodily form and then he repeats that in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this Um, uh, we'll start in verse 15 he is the image of the invisible God sounds just like Hebrews 1 Uh, it says, um, the firstborn over all creation, the word firstborn does not mean firstborn of creation. It means firstborn before creation. There's two words that he could have used and he used one that the Jehovah's witnesses cannot justify their stand on saying he's the firstborn of creation. Okay. He is the firstborn over all creation for by him, all things were created Not all other things. The Jehovah's Witnesses insert the word other right there. By him all other things. That's not correct. It can't even be inferred from the Greek, much less it's not in there. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things, visible and invisible. All the things that we don't see, we still don't know what dark matter is. Guess what? He's in charge of it. Um, It says whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that means beings, that maybe we don't perceive as well as the created order itself. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Or I like the the John Darby picked the best word of all for that. Um, the NIV does a great job. They say by him all things are held together or hold together or are held together. But John Darby says by him all things subsist instead of consist. Because this can consist of something it doesn't really mean that it's being held together in other words you have pudding it's got a consistency right but you can divide it you can share it with other people but if you say subsist it's something that is actually being held up so John Darby used a great word for that verse Um, but if you're gonna translate that for that word then you would say by him all things are held together okay NIV just simply translates the word instead of using a, a, a very innovative word like John Darby did Anyway, um, so uh, let's see here. Um, uh, where was I? Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Um, and not only that, it must continue to be sustained by him from moment to moment. And then, as I said, philosophers, Christian and non-Christian alike, have figured this out. And they actually didn't need to figure it out if they would take God at his word. You just go back to Genesis 1.1, and you look at it, and you say, God said it, and I believe it. That might be a little bit shallow you know the Bible says it and I believe it you know you, people get uh, kind of pounded for that but there's a point where when you've read the Bible enough you say I may not understand this but I'm going to accept it right because I know that this word has not failed yet in any way shape or form it has not failed and it's not going to fail and so there's a point where you just have to say the Bible says it and I believe it and I'm going to accept it okay but it can be kind of naive for a person to pick up a book and say, well, I'm going to read this and I'm going to accept it at face value, okay? Why is that a problem? Because maybe I picked up the, the Quran, which claims to be God's word, right? And if I say, well, I'm going to believe this and I'm going to accept it, then I'm being kind of stupid because how do I know? And that's what people do. They pick up the Quran, they're told that it's God's word, and they read it, and they believe it. They have to have a basis for believing it. The Bible does not contradict anything that general revelation speaks of. Nothing. Okay? The Quran does. When we think of God, the nature of God, that he cannot be changing just as Aristotle said. He's pure act. Okay? If he's pure act, there's no change in him. Well, the God of the Quran changes. It can't be the God of creation. And so you can deduce which is correct. But there's a point where you've deduced it, now it's time to say, I'm going to accept this, even if I don't really, you know, there are precepts in the Bible that we may want to fight against, is what I'm trying to get at. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of things that we say, I just don't want to do that. But you have to say, I know that this is God's word, and I'm just going to do it. Okay? That's, that's when you become a mature Christian, is when you say, I'm going to accept this, instead of trying to justify my behavior. anyway, Um, okay, so the Bible uh, clearly speaks of these things, and it does so in detail. We've got time. Therefore, even if it weren't the word of God, it would still prove that these concepts can be deduced because they are recorded in its pages. That's what I was just talking about, okay? The human mind has the ability to grasp such ideas and to ponder them, but instead, what do we do? We shrug such hints about him off and fill our time with the worthless pursuits of life. You don't know what I'm talking about? Go read the book of Ecclesiastes. And all, you know what? Here he is. He's the, the king of Israel. He was given the law of God. Deuteronomy and, it, it, uh, what is it, uh, Leviticus in particular and Deuteronomy repeats the law. It tells the king of Israel to not do certain things. Every one of those things that is detailed in that paragraph Solomon did, and he did them to the full. Don't take many wives. My goodness, he took 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? Don't multiply horses. It says he had billions of horses in all these places all over Israel. It says don't heap up silver. And what does it say? He had silver like stones. Yeah, there were so many that it was counted as nothing. Don't heap up gold. It says gold was everywhere, okay? I'm misquoting all of these verses, but this is what it says to not do, and he did it when he had God's revealed word right there for him. And he spent all of his life in the vain pursuit of things. And at the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes saying, there is a life under the heavens and there's a life under the sun. And you can choose which you are going to pursue. If you pursue life under the sun, it is only going to be futile. It's going to be vanity of vanities. All right? What that means is vapor. It's just simply vapor that you watch on a cold day and it fades away. That's what life under the sun is. If you want to pursue life under the heavens, then everything has meaning. It has understandability. It has the ability to be grasped in a way that we can say, I have a better hope. And that's what the Bible provides, is a better hope because of God's word. God's word matches general revelation. It gives us the hope that God has proclaimed. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send a Messiah. He works all the way through the pages of the Bible to get us to the Messiah. The Messiah comes. He fulfills the law just as the law said he would do. All right? And then he gives us a new covenant. And he says, I am establishing something based on grace. If you will simply believe this one precept, this one thing that I came into the world to do this and to bring you back to myself, you will be saved. Right? Right? And what do we do? We reject that completely. Even though it's so clear what God has done in the pages of the Bible, we reject it and we get back into what Paul is writing about and what Solomon has already told us about. Vain pursuit. You think of, you know, uh, I saw um, I think it was a couple days ago The Rock, the guy, the, the big guy that's done all these great movies and he does some really cool movies. Anyway, he, uh, he he's I think the highest paid actor Dwayne, ever Dwayne now. Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, thank you. Okay? He's, he's handsome, he's strong, he's high paid, he's famous and if he doesn't know Jesus what does the Bible say about getting old? Even youth shall get weary it's described in Isaiah 40 what's going to happen to the person but the people who trust in God will rise up on eagle's wings, right? We will have a hope that other people don't have because of what, because of the situation that we're in. We reject God and we end up in the ball that we're in. It's, it, it, it's very sad to think of all the potential that human beings have, and we waste it on the vain pursuit of life. Okay, so um, uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, and not only this, but we actively suppress the knowledge, going back here, it says on verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. It says we actively suppress the knowledge of him because we want to work out our impulses, which we know, are contrary to the nature of this creator. That's why we do these things, is because we say, I want this and I want it so bad that I'm just going to ignore this creator. I'm going to ignore that I know he's there, and I'm going to suppress the knowledge of God in my own unrighteousness. That's going back to the previous verse, verse 18. Okay, so, the act of suppression of the knowledge of God is reason enough for his wrath to be poured out. Just that. Actively suppressing the knowledge of God is reason enough for God to pour out his wrath on the world. In the end, when humanity stands before him in judgment, there will be no excuses for our neglect of pursuing him. None. Because if it's the most important thing in all of the world, what did Jesus say about our soul? What shall it profit a man man if he gains the whole world? Think of Dwayne Johnson. I don't know if he's saved or not. I'm just using him as an example because he's the man right now. And yet lose his soul. What is it worth what is it worth to pursue all of the treasures of the world if it's just a temporary thing it's vanity it's chasing after the wind okay Um, a little life application here and we're gonna have time for another verse today as Christians we accept that the Bible is God's revealed word hopefully okay if we're Christians we hopefully accept that and thus a special revelation of himself we also then implicitly acknowledge that he has made himself manifest through his creation in a general way Because we make this acknowledgement, then aren't we doubly responsible for searching him out and reflecting what we know to be true about him? If the lost will be condemned for suppressing the truth merely from general revelation, then how much more should we be judged for not pursuing the knowledge of him through his word and through his creation? Let us be diligent in our pursuit of God. And that doesn't mean we can lose our salvation. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that we have a double responsibility for pursuing God now. Because if the Gentile world, the world without God, the people that have not pursued God are going to be condemned simply by the creation around them, and we know that this is God's special revealed word, aren't we doubly accountable and actually more? Right? And when I say, I said at the beginning, I said as Christians we accept that the Bible is God's revealed word, and I say, well, we should. It, That is not a condition for salvation, okay? Immediately. Now, if you say that this is not God's revealed word, then that person will never get saved. I want you to know that. That's why I say you have to be careful about when you approach a doctrinal or a heretical issue. You can be saved apart from believing that the Bible is God's revealed word. If somebody comes up to you, you're in Papua New Guinea, and they say that God came out of eternity, he entered the stream of humanity, he became man he lived the perfect life that you can't live he gave his life up for you he died and then he was resurrected to prove that he had no sins of his own and if you believe this you'll be saved is that sufficient for salvation? yes that's the gospel okay now did I say anything about this being the word of God? Mm -hmm. has he ever seen this? has he ever heard of this? Mm -hmm. no okay so that is not a condition for salvation but it is a condition for condemnation because the message that I just gave you is in this book. Right. And if I say that this book says that, but this book is not true, then he can't be saved. Okay? So this is necessary for salvation if understood what it is. So you have to be careful about conditional, what makes salvation conditional. And that's why I say, said it, read it again, as Christians we accept that the Bible is God's revealed word. Well, guess what? When I first met the Lord, I had no idea if that was true. I did know that Jesus died for my sins. I received that, and I accepted it. And then I started reading this word, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. it. Front to back, front to back, front to back, again, and again, and again, and again. And it took me time to say, I really believe this. Because there are saved believers that don't believe in short-term creation. I debate with one of them all the time on, on emails with him. Love the guy, okay? But he doesn't believe in short-term creation. I do. I think that that is a necessary thing for my walk of faith with the Lord. Why? Because it says seven days. And because Moses wrote it, and that's what he believed. He sure didn't believe anything else. And there's, you know, as I I said at the beginning of the Bible, if you study the nature of man, the nature of depravity of man, the time of Seth's birth which is 130 years when Adam was 130 years and all of these things you can come to no other logical conclusion than that it is the short term creation but some people haven't come to that point yet and so it is not a necessary condition for salvation but to me it just calls into question everything else about the Bible to say well I believe in creation I just don't believe that it was you know seven days and I believe that we could have evolved into who we are well you can't evolve into original sin Either Adam was created and he sinned originally, or we don't need Jesus. Because you can't evolve into original sin. He had to be created, he had to fall, and then the Redeemer was promised. And if we take Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as allegory, we've started the entire Bible in a point of disbelief. Do you see that? At what point does it become true? After Noah? After Abraham? after Moses, when does this book start becoming literal? If you allegorize the first three pages of the Bible, you might as well just allegorize the entire thing. I take it literally. That doesn't mean that a person isn't saved because of that. It just means that he hasn't come to an understanding of those things. Yes. That's
1: it what it says in Romans 5.12 Sin entered the world through... One man. Yep. And then That's death. right. So you couldn't have death before because...
0: Because the, the internet, wages of sin is death. Yeah, But that does not mean, as a lot of Christian, I've heard Christian pastors say this, is that means any death. That's not what it's speaking of. It's speaking of death in man. Okay? Death could have existed right from the very beginning. You know, Adam's walking along and he steps on an ant. Right? There are ants all over, I'm sure. God created them. Right? Death existed. He ate an apple. Did the apples continue to live? And I'm just using an example. I'm not saying the fruit in the garden was an apple. I'm saying that he ate. Okay? He probably cut down uh, whatever to eat this and that. Okay, death existed. It's speaking of the death of man. And you're absolutely right. Death entered through one man. Okay, the wages of sin is death. You can't evolve into that kind of a thing. It's not possible. So, I, I take it literally. I try to convince people of a, a literal six-day creation with, you know, the seventh day. If they don't accept it, I don't argue it. Because it's not going to do any good. Right. They will come to that in their own heart. Yes? Moses knew what a day was. Sure. He knew what
1: a year was. You That's right. thousand years But
0: you can't was. use that argument, and I'll tell you why. Why? What is the day of the Lord? Uh, right? The day of the Lord is a general time frame. It's the same word, yom. And throughout the Bible, there are many different days. So people will use that, and they'll say, see, a day doesn't always mean a day. So you have to think it through from what the text is saying rather than what the word is saying. Right, right. Because a word can have many meanings. And so, yes, but it is true that Moses certainly believed in a literal six-day creation. Right, me and Paul did too.
1: Yes, w- is the word for day the same as a thousand years?
0: Sure. A day, a yom to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a yom. Psalm 90-4, or 90 verse 4, okay? okay. Which is repeated by Peter in 2 Peter 3, 8 in the Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a day can mean something other than a literal day. So you can't use that argument because I tried that once and then I realized, wait a minute, the day of the Lord is a day and it's a yom. So, you it, yeah, okay, a day so can not, mean many things right. Just like it does to us day can mean all kinds of things You know, this is the, the, the day of um, uh, The day of Dwayne Johnson This is Jane, du- Dwayne Johnson's day When I'm not speaking of a day at all I'm speaking about his time as a movie actor So yeah, we have the same problem with day as they do and, But I'm talking about a, a, a uh, uh, yeah, Contextual, morning, contextual analysis evening. Yeah, More, That is something you cannot change Morning and evening was the first day, and that's something, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I should have mentioned, and I'm glad you reminded me of that. When it says morning and evening was the first day, it is a day, Mm -hmm. and it's very specific in the Bible, and because of that, you can't come to anything else because a morning is a morning and an evening is an evening. Actually, it's evening and morning. Anyway, but that's correct. And there are other indications in the Bible. There are, there are quite a few of them, actually, that will defend a literal six-day creation, okay? But don't argue it. it. It would be like trying to argue the rapture with somebody, pre-trib and mid-trib. I had one guy one time on one of my Bible studies. He said something about um, uh, mid-trib, and uh, then he came back and he says, I repent. He says, I, 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 I'm a pre-tribber, and I shouldn't have said what I said. And I thought, there's nothing to repent of. It's just a doctrinal disagreement with somebody. Right. Right. You believe in pre trib There's nothing heretical about believing in a mid not. Once again, go back to John 3.16 like we did last week. Right? right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son yeah. that whoever believes in him and believes in a pre trib rapture will not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't belong in there. All of the little pet peeves that we have, if you <coughs> just insert them into John 3.16, you find out what is important and what isn't okay? And a pre-trib rapture is not. To me, it's important that I'm out of here, but it's not important as far as arguing with a Christian to the right. point of insanity right. and repenting of something that you don't need to repent of. You, you, you believe what you believe. You have your reason. Somebody else will defend their, and you can argue all day long, and you will never change their mind. You will never change somebody's mind. They have to come to that change in themselves. You defend what you believe and move on. Alright? People want to argue my one uh, what is it, rapture sermon I did? I don't bother. I'm not going to argue with you. I've said what I've said. I believe this. If you don't believe it, go to somebody else's site and read their mid-trib stuff. That's fine. It's not going to change your salvation this much. okay? And if it doesn't happen, as I said, if we see the signing of the, the, the Antichrist right, and we know that the Tribulation has started, has anybody's life here changed? No. no. We still have to go through it. People say, well, that's irresponsible because you're unprepared. I'm no less unprepared than you are. We're going into the same thing in exactly the same way. Nothing has changed. I just have a hope that is grounded in what I believe is a proper interpretation of Scripture that we will be out of here before the tribulation period. That's my hope. Okay? Other people don't have that hope. They've got a different one. Okay? All right. Um, We can start on verse 120, but we've only got 10 minutes, and there's no point because it looks like it's a pretty long verse. Yes? Go ahead. Yeah, please do
2: because that which is known about god is evident within them right there's a missionary and i'm not sure he's still living leith samuel was named many missionaries point out that the heathen has more knowledge than what we think oh yeah they know that there is a god there is no atheist among heathen tribes there has never been Discovered upon earth, a tribe of people, however smaller, depraved, which is not believed in some kind of dog some kind or of some deity, system of worship. That's right. The heathen found in so-called primitive tribes know that they have sinned. When a Christian comes and talks to them, they find them ready to acknowledge that that's it's right true. The heathen seems to know that their sin must be punished. Seems afraid of punishment and afraid of death, as are most men everywhere. They know that sin must be atoned for and they seek ways of appeasing their anger, their
0: angry deities or deity. And it, the very fact that they have a means of appeasing their deity proves that they know there's a problem. Yeah. And that goes right back, I was talking to a friend of mine by email yesterday he was asking certain questions about uh, one particular issue. And I said, just go to Genesis chapter 4. Let's, let's go there together really quickly. And the fact that they took an offering... To their deity shows they knows there's something wrong. And we're going to talk about that. Guess what? In this sermon on Sunday, we're going to talk about exactly that precept. Is But um, uh, it, it, while I'm looking for Genesis 4, I will tell you that Albert Barnes wrote in one of his commentaries about the people of the Sandwich Islands. Okay? There are a group of people that are, you know where the Sandwich Islands are? I think it's in the Indian Ocean or in that area somewhere in that, that part of the world. And they were literally ready for the missionaries to arrive. They had put away all of their idols. Somehow, the king or whatever they had, governmental structure, they said, these idols are wrong. There is a God, and it is not these things. They didn't know who this God was yet. Where have they, you been? Yeah. And when they got off the boat, it was like, where have you been? Look, my hair's standing up. We've been waiting for you. We knew that there was something. He wrote about this. He said that there, there comes a point in some people's lives where they know that all of the things that they have been doing are not right but they just don't know what is right and that's why I say general revelation all of that stuff that they're doing that you just read about is sufficient for condemnation it can never save them but special revelation is what will save them and that's why we send out missionaries that's why we do that but here's what it says in Genesis 4 the man just fell right Genesis chapter 3 Mm -hmm. it says he has become like one of us to know good and evil sent him outside of the garden with the flaming sword now, chapter 4 starts, and you get only a couple verses into it, and you come to exactly what you just said. Now Adam, and Eve, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So that's establishing that he was born. There's a lot of theology in that verse, but we won't get into it. It's just establishing that Cain was born, okay? The next. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel, Okay? Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So that's all we know at this point. I could go into all kinds of theology on those two verses, but at this point, just think of man is out of the garden; he has sinned against God; he's been expelled from paradise. He had relations with his wife; they had two children, and they have two uh, uh, jobs, just like Tom is a cutter of uh, of uh, grass, and uh, he takes care of hospital stuff. You each have a job, right? That's all it says. What does the next verse say? It says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. What does that tell you right there? there? They knew, that's right, they they knew that they had to appease their God. They knew that there was sin in their life and the Bible is making a point by leaving off all of the details except to say that they're born and that here's what they do. And I'm going to appease my God. There is a disconnect between God and man. And that's why that is put in that order with no other information. doesn't say that Abel was 12 when he broke his leg and, you know, his mom had to fix it. And none of that detail. Because it is irrelevant. God is trying to tell us that there is now a disconnect. And it needs to be appeased. And then it says, lost my page there. What does it say? Because everybody gets this one wrong. Everybody. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And you hear sermons, yes. Why not? Well, I'm about to tell you. You hear sermons, (laughs) miles long sermons. Okay, well I'm going to tell you. There are sermons that go on and on and on saying that it was because one was a blood offering and one was not. That is entirely incorrect. It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. Why? Because they had cereal offerings in Israel. Right. They could get grain offerings. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's a blood offering. People will say, well, this is the, the scarlet thread that goes all the way through the Bible. It's true that a blood offering is necessary for certain things. That's correct. But grain offerings are acceptable to please God. The reason why is explained in the 60th book of the Bible. So I'm going to take you there right now, and I'm going to read you why one was accepted and one wasn't. Don't yell it out so that I can get to it first. Alright? Uh, being. Uh, hang on. It's 60th book of the, the book. Bible. We've already been there once. Hebrews. Okay? Okay. Does anybody know why? Hebrews chapter 11. Does anybody know why? By faith. By faith. What does it say? By faith we understand that the word, worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The first person introduced into The faith register. By faith, Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It doesn't mean by faith the type of offering. It means by faith the offering. He offered in faith. Cain just took something. He says, here you go. Just like they do all over the world all the time. That's why it says, don't bring a blemished animal into my presence. You can use it for anything else, but don't offer it on the altar. Because by faith, I am a holy God. They don't know that. He tells them that, but they have to by faith say, I accept that. It's an act of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. It was the faith which brought the righteousness, not the blood sacrifice. Okay? By faith. Everything in this book comes down to the word faith, all of it, okay? You can offer all the blood sacrifices in the world, and if they aren't of faith, they do nothing, okay? By faith, by faith, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful book you've given us. Thank you for this wonderful class here with all these marvelous comments and uh, questions. Thank you for how you have treated us in this world by giving us the chance to come to you by faith and yes that's the hardest thing in the world for us to do because we want to do it by works we want to build our tower of babel back to you we want to build an altar of stones that are cut that are nicely formed and finished because we put our work into it to please you and you reject that and you say it is by faith it is by faith that you want us to come to you just standing on your word and saying, I am going to be a servant of yours, being faithful to what you have revealed to us. What a great God. Thank you for that. Lord, once again, we pray for all of the people out there that are suffering with whatever is in their life that is troubling them. Some people are suffering through doctrinal issues, things that tear them apart that they've done in their life, and help them to understand that they are washed and cleansed from those things because of the blood of Christ, and that they can press on without worrying about the past. And we pray for those who are physically disabled right now or that are going through loss of family or friends. Lord, we pray for these people and we thank you that you are a God who hears and who does respond to our prayers. You are so good to us. You are so wonderfully good to us and we want to exalt you. Help us to do it constantly because in speaking to you, even while we're driving or in speaking to you while we're taking out the garbage, it is showing faith. We're showing faith that you are there and that you are ready to listen. And so we will pray without ceasing, and we will rejoice always in your glory. Thank you for that. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. amen. Okay, um, that's it. Time to go. Let's don't don't leave yet because I've got to uh, back up this, and uh, everybody can say goodbye in just a second. Break. And here we go. All right, say goodbye to everybody out there. We love you. Okay. Have a great, great week. Bye-bye.